0: Okay, so Nehemiah. To, to get into Nehemiah, um, I'm not going to assume you all know about Nehemiah or the backstory here. So I'm going to give you a quick, quick, quick history of Israel um, leading up to Nehemiah. Okay, so uh, you know that Israel, uh, God came to Abraham, said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham has a whole bunch of kids. Those kids, they are at one point in captivity in Israel. They become millions of people or at least a million people in Isra- in, or sorry, in Egypt. Uh, and then uh, they are uh, captive in Egypt as slaves, and God sets them free, takes them through the desert. They end up in the promised land. He forms the nation of Israel just as he promised in his covenant to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would make them a great people, and that people would put him on display for the world. And so the God's plan was that Israel would be a nation that followed him and put the one true God on display for the world. And he had uh, the, the temple and the sacrifices and all of that stuff to put his uh, plan of salvation on display for the whole world. That's Israel, okay? And and the peak of Israel's power, the peak of Israel's power is King David and King Solomon. David... Um, replaces Saul. David basically conquers the whole land, and uh, everybody around is is uh, basically in awe of Israel and their military might. And then Solomon comes along, and, and God gives him the wisdom to be the wisest man in the world, and he's the richest, and he builds the first temple, and it's amazing. It's a wonder of the world. And all the nations are in awe of Solomon and his wisdom and his power. In fact, uh, Queen Beersheba comes to Solomon and says, how happy must your people be that they have this incredible king and this incredible nation and, and they're just so much wealthier here and, and, and people basically were in awe of Israel and uh, it was essentially the, the peak of their power and then after Solomon though, the people of Israel started to wander and, and what happened was is that Israel, the nation as a whole, got split into a northern and a southern kingdom. And, this, and the, the northern kingdom kept the name Israel; was called Israel, and uh, was ten of the tribes. And the southern kingdom had Jerusalem, the, the capital, in it, and it was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and the Levites who served in the, the temple. All the, other, all the other tribes were in the southern kingdom, or in the northern kingdom. And so Israel split into Israel and Judah because Solomon's sons uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam there's conflict, whatever. We don't have to get into all that, but the, there's basically a civil split, and so there's two kingdoms of Israel. Right? And then the the southern king, or the northern kingdom was absorbed into the Assyrian Empire. right? So, so God basically says, I'm going to judge you, Israel, for your worship of idols and for your wandering and for your treatment of the poor and for your lack of mercy and compassion and all these things and, and disobeying my law that I had laid out for you. And so the northern kingdom is absorbed into the Assyrian Empire and goes into exile um, about 725 B.C. The southern kingdom, which is Judah, which has Jerusalem in it, Uh, continues on for about another 150 years but then uh, about 590 BC Judah is also overthrown and by this time 150 years later it's not Assyria that's the world power it's Babylon and so Assyria takes the northern kingdom into captivity Babylon takes the southern kingdom into captivity and uh, so the ultimate seat of power for God's people is taken down. Jerusalem, the capital city falls, okay? Solomon's incredible temple is destroyed. The walls of the city are reduced to rubble. The nobility is enslaved and the people are scattered. This is essentially, at this point in history, is a wholesale dismantling of every institution of this nation. Okay, so you can imagine this for Canada or something, right? It's like, it's gone. The government is gone. The military is gone. Um, There is no palace, there's no army, there's no taxes, there's no city, there's no infrastructure, there's no temple, there's no altar, there's no priestly order, there's no sacrifices, there is nothing left of what remained of of that great, incredible, world-renowned empire of Israel. The entire region where Israel used to be is just a backwater province of Babylon, okay? It's over 1,500 kilometers from the new capital. Right? Israel is all but forgotten, and the book of Lamentations basically captures the helplessness and despair that Israel feels. This is a nation that has essentially ceased to exist and all the people are scattered. And you have to imagine standing at this point in history. It would, it would seem as if this formerly dominant empire in wealth and in military and in sophistication and this nation that has this singular religion that the one true God is their God, Right? that this nation alone professed in all the world had become permanently destroyed. It had become a footnote in the pages of history. It was just another kingdom that rose and fell like a hundred others with a hundred other gods and they just disappeared off the face of the earth and we don't remember their names and we certainly have not left behind any religious followers. I mean, are there any, any worshippers of the god of the Hittites around today? Are there any worshippers of the god of the Macedonians? Any worshippers of the gods of the Assyrians or the Persians? no. And and this is where Israel's at. It was just another nation. It had its moment in the sun, and it and its army and its God and its religion are decimated and gone. The people are scattered. They're overthrown and all but forgotten. The temple's destroyed. The scribes and the Levites are dispersed, and the books of the law are essentially lost in the rubble. But now this is where we are. This is where Nehemiah arrives on the scene. Now it's Nehemiah in the Persian capital of Susa because now Assyria has fallen to Babylon, Babylon has fallen to Persia, and Persia is now the dominant empire later on here that Nehemiah is serving. And Nehemiah is an exiled Jew who's serving as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And he's a long way from home. He's 1,500 kilometers away from Jerusalem. And even in a car today, that's a long way away, right? Like forget about Halliburton or Timmins. You've got to think, Okay, is 1,500 kilometers away from Toronto. Okay, You think you're in the middle of nowhere when you're in Halliburton. You're not anywhere near the middle of nowhere like Jerusalem was at that time, 1,500 kilometers away from Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. It was a, a month or two journey just to get there. And that's where Nehemiah is. And we open up Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the whole chapter. It'll be up there on the screen, but you can follow along. It's just uh, a few verses The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. Remember, that's the southern empire. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants." confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statues, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. So we see here this opening prayer of Nehemiah. And we consider now the state that Nehemiah and Israel are in and the people of God are in in his day and our day. How are we like Israel and how are we in Canada and even here in Halliburton at Lakeside like the same place as Nehemiah? God's kingdom, Christianity in our part of the world is certainly and has been under prolonged attack. There's a kingdom impact. There's a kingdom similarity to what's going on. Our Christian influence on the Western world for sure has all but vanished, right? It appears as if God's people are all but culturally overthrown in the world. Christian values and practices are marginalized and are not at all central anymore to our cultural discourse. We are the old backwater provincial people that have no cultural currency. And the temple might still be upright, And we might still be worshiping in it, but it is a pale version of what the temple was before and what we've seen in generations past. Anything we try to build, we are met with opposition, which Ezra and Nehemiah, we will see. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are both met with opposition as they try to rebuild. And certainly the walls are broken down and the city is destroyed. And what I mean by that is the, the secular presence of the church... Our presence in politics, our presence in the marketplace, our presence in the public sphere, the the civic presence of the church is virtually gone. Those walls are broken down. But then that's the kingdom impact. There's also a personal sort of connection to this as well, for each of us in our own hearts and as a people of God. Because when the people of God are scattered like this, right... When when we don't have a place to come, when we don't have the Word of God to form around, when we don't have our leaders in place, and when we are scattered and we are separated and we are dispersed in the in the culture and among the world, then we, like the people of Israel here, find it very easy to wander from God personally. We can find ourselves very far away from our worship of Him and our knowledge of Him and the truth of Him. And the people of God here did not keep the scripture with them they did not remember his word and they intermingled with other nations and they took on husbands and wives and they took on their practices and they took on the gods of other nations because they were scattered and they were dispersed And as Christians we can find them we can find ourselves increasingly scattered and in the minority and it's harder to keep our children rooted in the truth of God as they are educated and indoctrinated by another culture But God intends to care for his people by giving them his word God intends to care for his people by giving them his present and a cohesive family. In the Old Testament, it's a nation that God intended for his people to stay in. And in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, it's a church. And when the institution and the structures that God has provided as a means to his grace suffer, then his people suffer, right? When when the means by which God meant to preserve his people are destroyed and worn away, then his people suffer wear away and are destroyed. right? That what happens is that the salt and the light no longer preserve and no longer shine. And so we find ourselves today living in a time that is becoming like that of Nehemiah. We are increasingly finding it difficult to keep the walls up and the temple up because of the culture that's around us that we are getting assimilated into. And we find ourselves as individuals and as a kingdom on the threshold or already in that time of Nehemiah. And then how do we respond? Well, Nehemiah has given us a roadmap for rebuilding because God's people do this all the time. We we come back and we wander, right? Our hearts return and our hearts wander. But there's a map here that God has given us. There's a way, there's a truth that God has given us. And Nehemiah gives us a roadmap for rebuilding the kingdom, a roadmap for restoring the walls, a roadmap for returning to the work that God would have us do in rebuilding what was lost. And so if we find ourselves there, we can turn to God's word and we can look at Nehemiah and we can say, this is how God intends for us to return as a kingdom, as a people, but then as individuals in our own lives. And where does it start? It starts in prayer. Nehemiah's prayer. And Nehemiah prayed more than this. There's a time period of four months. If you look at the the month that he mentions in the first chapter and then in the start of the second chapter, he mentions another month. There's four months there that he's praying. And I'm going to guess that Nehemiah prayed more than just just this once. But this chapter is a reflection of the prayers of Nehemiah and how he prayed during this four-month period. And you can just stop right there and ask yourself, when's the last time I prayed four months for one thing? right? When's the last time that I... And I'm talking about me. When's the last time I had my heart set on one thing that God wanted and on God's heart for four months in a row? But it starts with prayer. And there's a lot we can unpack from it, but I'm just going to look at two things today in terms of how we get back on God's plan. Repent and return. If you just remember two words from today, it's repent and return. And this is Nehemiah's prayer. First, the repentance. He says, I now pray before you day and night, for four months, day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants. And that's intercession. He's praying on behalf of the people. He sees the need of the people and he's praying on their behalf. And he says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. That's corporately. He's saying we as a people, we as a kingdom, we as the people of God have sinned against you. And I'm confessing that sin that I see that is in our culture as a church, as a people of God, that we've wandered from you. And then he goes on, he says, even I and my father's house have sinned. And he makes it personal. He says, it's not like I'm on some sort of pedestal saying, oh yeah, look at how the church has wandered. What a horrible state the North American church is in. What a horrible state Israel is in. He's saying, no, it's me. I was part of this. I was here. Me and my house, we sinned. We we were part of this. And we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. What's he repenting of here? There's just three things. He's repenting of sin. And we have to all repent of sin, personal and corporate. Confess the reality of the situation we have gotten ourselves into. And there is a, there is a place for corporate confession where we as the church, as the North American church, maybe even as Lakeside, and, and we've been through this in the past, before, I know because I was here and part of it at the beginning, where we literally had to confess as a church and say, yeah, we did things wrong. And we did not navigate those waters well and we have had a stance that has been improper in the past and we corporately kind of just have to repent and acknowledge the fact that we've sinned and we've done things wrong apart from how God would have us do things. And then the church, the wider church, the whole the whole church has to confess of the reality of the sins where there have been seasons and there have been times when the church, and it's hard to just sort of say the church in quotes and kind of take the blame for the whole church, but we just have to step up to people and to the culture and say, I get it. You've seen how the church has behaved in the past and it's been wrong because we've been judgmental and we've been... Con- Uh, condemning and we have been hurtful and we have behaved in ways that have been improper and we have to repent of that and we have to get ourselves not for the point of piling on a whole lot of guilt but so that we can stop doing it and start acting rightly and so the church just has to take stock and confess and that's what a confession is it's just a truth telling it's a telling of the truth of this is how things are It could be the telling of the truth of this is how I've acted or what I've done. Or it can just be a confessing of this is how things are or this is how I am. This is how I'm feeling. And so we confess. We confess our weakness. We confess the hurts we've caused. We confess the fact that we have wandered. We confess that we've delighted in things that we should not have delighted in. We confess that we've treated people poorly when we should have treated them better and knew better. But that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's just saying, God, I have to start here with repentance of sin. We've sinned and acted corruptly and confesses the reality of the situation Israel is in and God's people is in. But he goes on more specifically to repent of wandering. And if you want a father, basically, what God says is if you want to follow other gods, if you want to marry other people, if you want to go after other nations, if you want to please yourself in other ways, God will let you go, but he will be there when you want to come back. And and Nehemiah basically has to, he realizes that they have to return, that, that they have wandered away from God and they have to come back. God scattered Israel and Judah because they were continually wandering spiritually. They were still the nation of Israel, but in their hearts were far from me. Remember, you know those verses, right? You know, your sacrifices and your feasts I abhor. Would somebody just shut the temple doors and stop this? Right, God scattered Israel and Judah because they were wandering spiritually. They were constantly following, falling into pagan practices of idol worship. And they were forgetting or abusing the law. And the prophets were full of warning in this regard. But their primary sin was forgetting God and wandering from Him. They were setting their own desires and their own appetites up as gods. And they had gods of fertility and gods of wealth and gods of pleasure that Israel focused on, the Asherath and the Baals. Does that sound familiar? Gods of fertility and gods of wealth and gods of pleasure? You've seen any cultures around that have worshipped <laughs> sex and money and pleasure? When cultures go after these false gods and after their own appetites, God says, You can wander. I'll be here when you come back, but I'm not going to stop you. You're going to wander. And we find the church today scattered and wandering in a culture that worships at these idols, broken apart as congregations and whole denominations sacrifice faithfulness to God and His Word on the altar of cultural acceptance and personal comfort. There are churches and there are denominations that say, we just have to fit in with the culture that we now live in. And you know whatever God's scripture said, whatever the law said, that's just, we're just going to bury that in the rubble and, and, and pretend like that doesn't exist. And we're instead going to turn our hearts and we're going to turn our minds towards fitting in with the culture around us. And this is what Nehemiah is repenting of because he sees that this is what Israel has done. And as we have wandered, we find ourselves scattered and powerless and we need to return. We also need to repent of serving our own plan. We need to repent and return from having our own plan, our own mission of serving ourselves instead of God's mission. God has a purpose for his people today, just as he did Israel. God had a purpose for Israel to be light and salt and to be the testimony of the one true God among the nations of the world. And he has a plan for the church. But just as they sinned and just as they wandered, as they pursued their own plans, the mission and the salt lost its flavor and the light almost went out in Nehemiah's day. It was almost complete darkness. The light was just about gone from the world. Once Israel had taken their eyes off of God, they substituted their own ideas for His until the empire ran itself out and the priests were accused of preaching peace, peace, when there was no peace. And they were a people pursuing their own pleasures and wealth and satisfaction while their worship of God evaporated and the culture collapsed around them. That's what happened to Israel. And we can see that in the larger picture of our culture today, we see that happening around us in the church, but do we see it in our own lives? It's happening at a kingdom level. It's happening amongst God's people. But do you understand that it can happen in your own heart? This is where it hits home personally. And some of you maybe who have been Christians for a while, you remember these seasons. You remember where you were working your own plan for what you thought was your pleasure and your satisfaction. And God's plan and what he wanted were sort of on the back burner because the plan you were working was working really great. And you were getting what you wanted out of life. Until after a little while, whether it was a few months or a few years, but eventually you start to realize that the plan that you were on was actually destroying your life, that you were not getting all the happiness that you thought you were going to get out of that plan that you had. And that ultimately there was emptiness and despair and hopelessness at the end of it. And maybe not in some sort of great sort of life collapses sort of way, but just sort of lying awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, staring at the ceiling, wondering, what really am I doing here? That kind of hopelessness. And then you realized that you had to get back on God's plan. That you had to get back to God's people. You had to get back into God's place. Because the wandering was destroying you. And we've all been the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter at some point. And maybe you're feeling that reality today. Maybe serving yourself and pursuing your own plan for your own self-serving reasons is not working out that great for you. Nehemiah has an answer. He says, repent and return. God is waiting for you to return to him and get back on his plan, and that's the second part. It's repent, you repent of where you've been, you confess where you've been, and then you return. And that's what comes after repentance. And this is the structure of God's covenant with his people. This is what we have to understand, and don't miss this. This is how God structured things. There's a movement to our relationship with God, and how God is with us. But it's in the covenant. This covenant is the returning. And we want to notice here how it entirely depends on God and His faithfulness. Our repentance is a turning. It's an agreement with God that we've gone astray. But the actual movement of returning is not actually accomplished by us, but by God being faithful. Look what he says here. Nehemiah's words. Remember the word. Now the word here is going to be explained as the promise. So he's saying, God, remember your word. And you can think that's the law, but that's... You, That's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Saying, and here's the word then. So the word isn't the law. The word is actually God's promise here. Remember the word. If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. That's a promise. That's a covenant. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and that's also promise and covenant. And bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Do you get that, what God is saying? As Nehemiah says, he says, he's reminding God, he says, God, this is your words. You said, you promised, you made a covenant with your people that if we reject you, we are going to be scattered. But you made another promise that said, if we return, if we repent and we turn our eyes back to you, I God, you will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And so we've got to return, but the returning is done by God. That should be ringing bells of recognition from the message last week. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul said to the people in Thessalonica, he said, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's God who's promise is working. It's God who is returning his people. And so we scatter and we wander and God just says, just turn back to me, just repent, just confess and turn back to me and I will draw you back. It doesn't matter if you've been scattered as far as the heavens are, I will draw you back. It doesn't matter how outcast you feel you are, I will gather them and I will bring them to the place I have chosen. God wants to bring his people back. And so here, Nehemiah is very aware of whose power is going to accomplish this promise of returning. God says, I will do it. It will be my power. I will bring you back. Is the Old Testament God any different than the New Testament God? No, not even a tiny bit. God has promised God is faithful. It's God who will act to draw those who turn to Him. He will draw us back. We can't find our way back to God. But if we ask, God will not reject anyone who calls on Him. He will pick us up and He will bring us back where He dwells. And I don't know where you are at today, but this prayer of Nehemiah, this promise of God, is ours. This promise of God can be yours also. You don't have to look at how far you are from God and despair of the journey. Our job is simply to repent and confess and God will bring him back to Himself. And it may not be a very long journey or it may be a very long journey coming back to God but you are never out of His reach and never too far that He won't begin to guide you back. And that journey can begin today in confession, in recognition that He is God. It's repenting and returning. We have to return to God first, but then also return to His place and to His people. This whole book of Nehemiah is about this nation of Israel which is scattered amongst the nation and rebuilding the temple and the city walls so that they can return to the city and be a people again, return to the place. In a very practical sense here, Where does God want us to return? Well, God's grace comes to us by certain means. And one of the means that God's grace comes to us is through His people being gathered together. It's through the church. One of the means of God's grace for us to return is the places and the people around us. Israel needed Jerusalem. They needed the promised land. They needed the temple as the means by which they could remain close to God. And so God gave them a land and He gave them a city and He gave them a temple. And they had to return there. That's Israel. We have a people. And the church, we have a place. We have gatherings for worship. And these are the means by which God intends for you to experience the reality of His promise. God has this promise. He says, I will bring you back. And where He means to bring you is into His people, into His place again. And so if you're far from God, and you're here today, this is a means by which He's saying, this is where you need to be. You need to be among His people, and you need to be in my place, just like Israel did. And nobody's here by accident. So again, I I don't know why you're here. I don't know how you got here. I don't know who brought you here. I don't know what brought you through the front door. But if you're here, you're here on purpose. And God is saying, if you want to return to me, just like Israel had to return to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls and get back together as a people, he's saying, I have a people and I have a place and you need to be with my people. Return. Don't, Don't run away from God's people. Don't run away from God's church. Return to God's church. Return to his people. And our enemy will drive a wedge between us and the church as fast as he possibly can because you think Satan doesn't know this? He will use your depression. He will use your addiction. He will use your divorce. He will use your whatever it is that's going on in your life. And he'll say, you can't go to church. You can't go to church. You can't go to church. And God is saying, no, return, repent and return. Come back to my people. Come back to my place. That is where I have grace for you. That's where I have mercy for you. That's where you can be restored. That's where you can hear my word. That's where you can be refreshed. That's where you can be redeemed. There's a means by which God intends for you to experience this reality of his promise. And that means by which his promise comes to fulfillment in our time is the church. This is the promise of God. This is God returning and gathering his people back together again. Every church, everywhere it's going on is God's people gathering together as he intended. I'm going to have a people. I'm going to have a kingdom of priests set apart for me and they will be my people and they'll be salt and light in the world and they're going to gather together. And the church is God's plan for that. So return. And then thirdly, return to his plan and his mission. It's important here that one of the most important realizations that Nehemiah and Ezra Ezra and and Haggai and, and all the other prophets in this era had was that as they were wandering, as they were amongst the people, as they were suffering whatever trial they were suffering as a consequence of their wandering, and in, as they were in persecution and as they were enslaved, right? If you need a, if you're chained, he's a chain breaker, right? As they were out there wandering, if they, you've lost your way, he's a waymaker, right? As as the people of God were out there wandering, one of the things that the prophets realized was that God was not absent in those trials, but in fact, the lesson they had to learn was that God was using those trials to exhort His people to repent and to return to Him. This was not a case of God being absent from the people of Israel. This was a case of God saying, you need to be encouraged to repent. And so there is wandering, and there is desolation, and there is enslavement, and there is trials for you until you realize the good that I have for you, and you turn from that God had a million prodigals. He had five million prodigals. He had six million prodigals. I don't know how big the nation of Israel was at this time. He had six or seven or eight or nine or however many million prodigals out there in the world. And he said, you've got to finally be eating slop from the trough of the pigs until you return to me. And that's one of the things the prophets realized is that God was not absent in this time, but they were to learn from this and to return. The plan for their life was not working out for them. God had a plan for them. God had a mission for them. God had a purpose for his people and they were not on that purpose and they had to get back on his purpose. He had to show them that his work was satisfaction for them, that his mission, his mission and his purpose was joy for them and that pursuing their own selfish mission would just end in despair. And this is what Nehemiah saw here in this prayer. It's what Ezra saw. God's temple, God's walls are down, and we're a people that have wandered away from the glory that God had intended for us, and we remember that glory that God had for us in generations past, and we are far from that, and he is at work trying to get us back together and rebuilding what has been destroyed. We have to repent as a people and return to where God is working. So then how do we now apply that again to ourselves? If we can see in our own culture, in our own lives, in our own community here in Halliburton, a reflection of the situation of what Nehemiah faced, of what God' people may face in any generation, how do we as a church and how do you and me as individuals repent and return to the work that God has for us? How can we be like Nehemiah and see what God is at work doing and return and restore his people and redeem the nations? What is God doing physically and spiritually in Halliburton that we should be joining in him, instead of you know, wandering away from him, or just pursuing our own plan instead of his plan. I don't know. I, I don't have a. I don't have a. Here's the three things list. I mean, we can see some of the things that are happening in our church, and you, you can see in your own lives some of the things that God is doing. We can see that God has called us together for a plan and a purpose to reach this community. But what I do know is that it starts with prayer. It starts with this repenting and returning, as a church and as a people that we confess to God and we return. And as we confess and repent and return and return to his place and return to his people and get engaged and get active in the community of his people, then God will work through that to, redo, to restore and redeem the nation and the world that he wants to restore and redeem and to reach the people he wants to reach. And so that's where we are. We're just repenting and returning. And so in closing, I, I just want to pray that prayer for us as a church. That we as a church, that we as a people, that we as individuals would repent and return. And that that prayer would take root even today. And as we go through this really short mini-series of Nehemiah, that God would show us and show you personally how you repent and return and reconnect to him. And come in out of the cold, come in out of the culture, come in out of the wandering, and into the good plan that God has for you. Let me pray that prayer right now. Let's pray. Father God this is a little different than a sort of closing prayer this is, this is part of it this is, this is I hope all of our prayers for ourselves personally and for us as a church and corporately I just I just confess our weakness I confess our wandering it is easy for us as a people to get distracted our foolish hearts wander you know something new on Netflix whoa gotta watch that You know, new car, new toy, new relationship, new whatever. We're like kids in a candy store and we are easily distracted. And Father, we confess that. And deeper than that, Lord, sometimes we just outright rebel. We want what we want and we want it on our terms and in our time. And we have to repent of that too, Lord. So Father, we just confess that we are weak, that we are dust, and you remember that we're dust, and we need your strength, and we need your word, and we need your wisdom. Father, we confess that sometimes we've wandered away from your people. We've got no need for other Christians in our lives. We don't want to be in a small group. We don't want to be part of a ministry. We don't really want to come to church anymore. You know, it's just better to be on our own until we need something, and we need you, and then we want to be back. So Lord, we confess that too, that we've wandered from your place and your people. And Lord, we want to return. We recognize the state that we've let the church fall into here in North America, speaking very broadly, that we have become marginalized to the extreme, especially in Canada, that we have virtually no voice left in the cultural discourse, and that we have uh, really given ground and given way through compromise. And Lord, we repent of that too. But Lord, we have your word and we have your truth and we have that cornerstone, Christ Jesus, still the cornerstone of our church, the cornerstone of the temple, the cornerstone of the wall. And the knowledge that Christ Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for our sins, that we are set free from bondage in him. And Lord, it's on that rock that you'll build your church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so Lord, help us as a people to return to that cornerstone that we can build on the truth that you have here, that you can build on the remnant that you have kept that would not bow the knee to bow. That this would be a cornerstone in this community, that this would be a light, that we would be salts. Father, show us how to restore your people. Show us how to rebuild the walls. Show us how to have a voice again in the community. Show us how to reach out to people and to bring your gospel truth so that people are not wandering lost in the darkness, pursuing other gods, but so that they see the one true God and can return and rejoice and be restored and healed and renewed and redeemed, which is your mission for us. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation, Lord. Show us how to do that. And Father, You've been here in Your Spirit and in Your Son, in the hearts and the spirit of each one of us here. Lord, You've been here these last weeks when we've been on this study. You're here in this search of Your Scripture in Nehemiah. Lord, we beseech You. We ask You. Beseech. That's the, that's the King James word that Nehemiah used. We beseech You, Lord, to show us how do we return How do we rebuild the walls that were broken down? How do we become a safe haven again for the nations to come and know you? And Father God, when we pray that, we pray that asking you to remember your word and your promise. We know that you have covenanted with us. None of this matters if your son did not come to die on the cross and to seal by his blood the covenant and by his resurrection prove your faithfulness. That it's your spirit, your power that is at work. It's you who will return your people. And so Lord, we rejoice in that and we want to join you in that. Anyway, Father, that applies to all of us as a church. I pray that for us as a people, but I pray for each of us individually. We have all wandered and are all at various states of wandering. Some of us have wandered so far that you seem so far away. I just pray by the Holy Spirit that even right now they can know that you have a long arm. doesn't matter how high or how deep or how scattered to the heavens we are. You have promised to return your people if we will turn to you. And so, Father, right now, in the quietness of people's hearts, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work working that miracle of their turning to you and that today would be the day of their salvation. Let's just pray that together. Father, today, I lay down my sword. I give up my wandering. I return to you. I can't do it. You can. Amen.